0: You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au ...was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. Who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man but of god the word became flesh and dwelt among us we observed his glory the glory as the one and only son from the father full of grace and
1: truth this is the word of the lord thanks be be to god All right, I'm just going to pull back the curtain a little bit and let you see um, what's going on in the minds of pastors all over the world when they come up to Christmas. The, the, the thing, the unifying thought that's in our minds is how can we make Christmas mean something? Because there's so much noise, right? The, the, the Christmas um, message is crowded out by so much noise and... Busyness and consumerism and it's hard to kind of elbow your way in and get people's attention. Added to that is the fact that everyone's heard this story a million times. All right, so it's difficult to get a, to get an edge. And uh, some of us resort to wearing ridiculous jumpers. Out, like this is, I'm, I'm just, I'm grasping at straws at this point. Uh, what I thought I would do this morning is do what, doesn't get done very often and that is go to John's gospel to talk about Christmas. No one goes to John's gospel because there's no manger, there's no nativity, there's no donkeys or sheep or shepherds or anything like that. John's gospel is very different. Uh, He's a very different person and uh, his gospel happens to be probably my favorite book in the entire Bible if you're allowed to have one. I love the Gospel of John. The way that he begins his Gospel is very different to Matthew or Luke who begin with Jesus' birth. So you just heard it read. It's a pretty profound passage and uh, I'd like to talk about a little bit and how um, how it speaks to this Christmas day. So John, just for a bit of context, he's writing to a mixed audience. Uh, It's pretty clear that Matthew has uh, a Jewish audience in mind when he's writing. Um, John has a mixed audience. He's writing to both Jews and to Greeks and to Romans and, you know, like just a very eclectic mix of people. He's writing to the equivalent of Melbourne today, all right? So just tons of different cultures, cultural backgrounds, languages, and... Understandings of spirituality. So at the beginning of his gospel, I think he has squarely in mind the Greek audience that he's writing to because for the Greeks, their understanding of the universe um, was very different to that of the Jews. Uh, you'll find remnants of it around today just in people's sort of understanding um, whether or not they know it's Greek or not. The idea the Greeks had was that rather than one God, that like the the Jews understood there being one God, the Greeks had many, many, many gods, just uh, a pantheon of gods, literally all the gods. Um, They had gods for all kinds of things. And um, those gods kind of couldn't be trusted. Uh, If you've seen any sort of pop culture, Greek God, movies or books these these gods are tricksters they're kind of pretty arbitrary sometimes they're just like messing with human beings and so you can't really trust them uh, though you still need to worship them venerate them what you can trust is what they call the logos the logos unlike the the gods who kind of turn on a whim the logos is the greek term for word, that the English translation is word. So the logos is the thing that keeps the universe from just spinning into chaos. The logos is reason. Reason governs the universe. It's reason that keeps everything in balance and everything in check. So the reason that the earth doesn't spin off into the sun is because of the logos, the reason the um, moderating force of the universe. So that's why John introduces Jesus in his gospel as the Logos. He says to these Greeks who have an understanding of the the force, I guess in our our context, we might talk about like a higher power, or you know, sometimes people talk about the universe, like. I got a good gift this morning the universe was good to me that kind of idea that there is some some sort of force kind of keeping everything in check they had that idea and so john introduces jesus as the personification of that force he's speaking to them on their terms and revealing something to them which is nameless and um, personality less he's saying this is who that force is. It's a person. So he says those first few verses in the beginning was the word and the Greeks would have said, yeah, that's right. The logos in the beginning, yeah. The word was with God. Well, it kind of depends what you mean by our God, which God I guess, you know, we know the Jews believe in one God, so I guess that makes sense. Yep, the the logos, the the reason was with God. The word was God. Yep, we can accept that too. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. They're kind of on board with John at this point. He's got a weird kind of Jewish vibe running with his philosophy, but they kind of get where he's coming from. But then he goes and says something that is scandalous, something that would not have made sense to either Greeks nor Jews, and they weren't around at the time, but Muslims. like It is a truth that scandalizes people of many, many faiths around the world today. It insults them. It outrages them. He says in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father full of grace and truth. That's a scandal. The idea that either the logos, the governing force of the universe or God, Yahweh, the one and only God that he would become flesh. This is a scandal. Christmas is a scandal. They call it blasphemy, we call it Christmas. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. John writes this as one of Jesus' best friends. He's writing this from experience. He writes as an eyewitness. We observed his glory, he says. We saw him. We walked with him. We heard him. We talked to him. We ate and drank with him. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father. He was very much flesh. He was a human being skin and blood and bones. He slept, he ate, he drank. He did all the things that we do as human beings. He was very much flesh but we observed his glory. He was unlike anything or anyone we've ever seen. This is because he is the Logos. He is God in human flesh. The reason that I love Jesus so much, once you move through all of the obvious answers to that, like he died for me, He loves me unconditionally. He prays for me. Like somewhere on that list is just because I think he's the most impressive human being that's ever lived. I want to be like Jesus. That's not a trite, like Sunday school thing to say. I desperately want to be more like him. He is everything I want to be is what he is in fullness. I want my children, my son, and my daughter to grow up to look and act and behave like Jesus. He's the greatest man who's ever lived. He's full of grace and truth. I love that about him. Grace and truth. Merciful and direct. Grace and truth. So that's the Christmas story according to John. Just in that one verse, he gives you both Christmas Day and everything through to the crucifixion, Easter. The word became flesh. He was born of a woman. He dwelt among us. We observed his glory full of grace and truth. Once again, it's kind of hard for us to grasp how earth-shattering this truth is? Because we've heard it a million times, right? Well, of course, God became a human being. But if you stop and think about it, that's a stunning idea. We call it the incarnation, the uh incarnation. you know, carne, like carnivore, just it means meat, it means flesh, incarnation. God comes into the flesh and lives a human life. Why did he do it? If this is such an outrageous idea, if it risks blasphemy, accusations of blasphemy and scandal, why did he do it? He tells us this best friend of Jesus tells us a couple of chapters later, doesn't he? John 3, verse 16 and 17, for God loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, for God did not send his son into the world, God became flesh. He didn't send him into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's what Christmas is about. That's the essence of Christmas. In fact, it's more important if you wanna have just one image of the essence of Christmas, it's more important than nativity, or angels, or shepherds, or wise men, or or shed. More important than any of those things is this quintessential truth. John 3, 16 and 17, that's the whole story. That's the Christmas story like distilled down into its most potent essence. God loved the world and so he sent his son into the world to save the world. God loves the world, and so He sees a world full of brokenness and darkness. If you were here yesterday, you would have heard a short account of just some of the darkness we experience in this world. It's part of the human condition to experience suffering. And so He sends His, world, his Son into the world to bring light and life. The world is dark and people are dying so God brings light and life verse 4 and 5 of our reading says in him was life and that life was the light of men that is human beings that light shines in the darkness and yet the darkness did not overcome it Jesus life and his light powerful enough to overcome darkness darkness representative of pain suffering brokenness sin death condemnation evil all of the things that make this life at times unbearable in his incarnation the Christmas morning through to his death burial and resurrection Jesus brings life and light and that life that he brings is not just freedom in the present you know this morning each morning i just spend a short amount of time the first thing i do just contemplating god's love for me that's just that's what i need to do in this season of my life might change in the future but just quietly contemplating god's love for me and as i was doing it this morning Uh, I don't know how to describe this right because it's not like a God spoke to me out of the very wet clouds but it was like it came with that sort of authority like this is not just something that you've come up with it came with a sort of this is being spoken to you kind of vibe and what I heard was you are free that's all so because God loves me deeply, deeply enough to send his son into the world, not just to live a human life, but to die in my place, because he loves me like that, I am free. That's the life that Jesus brings. Jesus said that he came. To give us life and life to the full, abundant life. Jesus said, whom the Son sets free, he is free indeed. So the most important aspect of the life that Jesus brings is that it is eternal. That's the gift that he offers you. There is no eternal life for any one of us apart from God's gift received by us. But it's not just a future reality, Jesus brings here and now, freedom. Freedom from self-recrimination, freedom from unfair judgment and injustice, freedom from hopelessness and despair, freedom from the guilt of sin, in him was life and that life was the light of all people. Now the tragedy of this Christmas story, this Christmas story has everything in it. John's account here, very short but very packed. So it's got tragedy as well. The tragedy of the Christmas story. Read this with me at verse 10 and 11. He, Jesus, was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. That's the tragedy of all of the Gospels. It's actually the tragedy of the entire Bible. In the entire Bible, at some level, is God visiting his people with grace and them rejecting him. He was in the world. Think about that. Imagine you have created the world. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Through him all things were created. Nothing has been created that he did not create, is what John says. So he's created the world and now he's walking around inside of it. He was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. The very people who he crafted, the very people who he knit together in their mother's wombs don't recognize their creator when they see him. He was rejected. He was scorned. He was crucified. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This is, a, like, <laughs> this is a horrible tragedy. If the creator of the world, who lovingly made each and every person in his own image, imbuing them with dignity and value and worth that can never be taken away from them, whether they recognize him or not, if he comes into the world to mend brokenness, to chase away darkness with light, if he comes into the world and the people who so desperately need a savior don't recognize him, that's like the definition of tragic. That's like, okay, this is, I, I spent a bit of time as a little kid in cancer wards They're horrible places to be. Full of very, very sick people who look very, very sick. Someone who's dying of cancer looks horrible. So you're in a cancer ward full of desperate people. And if you can imagine walking into the cancer ward and saying, Hallelujah, it's time to party. I have the cure for all of the cancers and those people then look at you and walk away or refuse the treatment. That's like a shadowy analogy for this. Jesus comes with the cure for eternal sickness, and yet no one recognized him. No one received him. Now, the good news is, that this doesn't need to be the case because John goes on verse 12 he says but thank God for that but <laughs> but to all who did receive him he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name so this is the, the, the situation for each one of us this morning. Christmas reminds us that God became flesh for our sake. God came into the world to save the world, not to condemn it. God came to bring light and life. And I imagine if you're here this morning on a rainy Christmas morning when you could be doing a 10,000 other things, you could still be in your jammies, you could be, I don't know, Popping the first cork for the day. I I wouldn't, but I don't know. You you do what you need to do. You could be doing anything right now. The fact that you're here, I, I assume you're here because you have received him. You have received him. But if you have not received him, then you need to know that it's as simple as this. To all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. What does that look like? It looks like believing in his name. That is his name being representative of him, who he is. We've heard that he is the eternal Logos. He is the governing force of the universe. He is the creator of all things and all people, including you. And we've heard that he became a baby, scandalously became a helpless baby, so that he might grow up as a man experiencing all of the things that you experience, as the writer of Hebrews says, tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. He lived a sinless life, a life that you and I could never, ever lead, and he died the death we should have died. So. Now all that's left to do is receive him. If you were here earlier on in the year in the uh, book of Revelation, you would have heard these words from Jesus in Revelation chapter three, hear this. This is him speaking to us, see, exclamation mark. Take note, listen. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. That's the situation before each one of us this morning. And if you're already a Christian, this still counts. If you're not yet a Christian, this is the most important decision you'll ever make, simply opening the door to Jesus. I'd like to pray for us now and encourage you that if you have not yet received Jesus and what he's done for you, Christmas is just about the best time to do it. Christmas is the living, breathing example of God giving himself to us as a gift. So please receive him today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the greatest Christmas gift we could ever receive. Thank you for the gift of yourself Eternal God made human flesh. I pray that for those of us who do believe and have received that today would be a great day of celebration and joy, constantly cognizant of this scandalous truth that God became flesh. And for those who are not yet in that place of reception. I pray, Lord, that they would open the door. Those who are here present, those who are watching online, anyone who has not yet received the Lord Jesus, please, God, prompt them to open the door to you, to your mercy, forgiveness, and grace. May we all share in the light and life of our Lord Jesus. Amen.